Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition, <clears throat> sorry, of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. <clears throat> Lots to get into today. Going to talk about a little bit about Afghanistan, the first part, and what is truly crazy, hearing from the GOP that impeachment's not even going to be an option. And we got some video of Mitch McConnell saying impeachment's not even going to be an option. He wants to just go the legislative route. So we'll play that in a little bit. Second hour, we're going to talk about this Gabriel Guype. The Antifa teacher in, uh, I believe, California, who is now being fired after Project Veritas got him to admit in undercover videos that he indoctrinates the kids with Antifa and and Maoist and communist socialist <laughs> propaganda. So we're going to bring on Jake, our resident Antifa expert, on in the second hour to talk about that. But got to remind everyone, make sure you hit that share button, make sure you give us a thumbs up, make sure you comment. Very, very important as we try and bust through the algorithms. And again, if you haven't already, please do subscribe on Apple Podcast and leave us a good five-star review. Help us climb up in those rankings. Can't do it without you. So I, I, I've sent over a video, Mr. Producer, of Joe Biden ending his press conference just a, a short while ago. Um, I hope we have it queued up. Once again, he has refused to answer questions about Afghanistan. He's going to run from the press. He's not going to answer for his failure. He thinks he can just run out the clock. He believes he can run out the clock. And he sends out all of his different emissaries and his subordinates and his, and his deputies to, to talk. And they're insane. They don't know what's going on. They can't put a sentence together. They're lying to the American people too. But it's shocking that when Joe Biden himself is out in front of cameras, the press lets him just walk away. They let him just walk away. They let him refuse to take any questions. Listen, the love affair with the press and Joe Biden has gone away. It's obviously not there anymore. And as I mentioned towards the end of yesterday's podcast, um, Joe Biden didn't just abandon American citizens. He also abandoned journalists, which I guess if we're looking for a silver lining in all of this, that could be it. No, no, no. We don't want anyone left behind. But a little bit ironic that the pro-Biden journalists got left behind. So I sent over, Mr. Producer, this clip. I've been talking a little bit to try and flesh out some time to give you time to get it ready. Joe Biden ending his press conference and running away from the questions. Let's play that clip. We're going to get this done. Thank you. Mr. President, He runs away from the questions. Classic Joe Biden, classic running away from accountability. Very, very classic. So we're going to get into this pretty incredible video of Mitch McConnell. But before we go, I, I, before we get into that, I want to bring up just how many lies the administration has told us. And this isn't all of them. This isn't all of them. But these are months of lies about how the Afghanistan withdrawal was going to go. And we're going to play it. And I want you to, to count the lies. Let's count them together 
and see how many there are. Let's play cut number one. The United States will not undertake a hasty or disorderly withdrawal from Afghanistan. We are committed to a responsible and sustainable end to this war while preventing Afghanistan from becoming a safe haven for terrorist groups. We seek to bring a responsible end uh, to the conflict, to remove our troops from from harm's way, uh, and uh, to ensure that Afghanistan can never again become a haven uh, for terrorists that would threaten the United States. General Miller and General McKenzie will be able to do so in a safe, orderly, and effective way. We'll not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. They will do it safely. They will do it orderly, and they will do it deliberately, and they will do it in lockstep with our allies. Uh, we plan to retain uh, an embassy uh, on the ground of Kabul and uh, on the ground in Kabul. We're not withdrawing. We're staying. Uh, the embassy is staying. Our programs are staying. If there is a significant deterioration uh, in security, um, that could well happen. We've discussed this uh, before. Um, I don't think it's going to be something that happens from a Friday to a Monday. I met with uh, the Afghan government here in the, in the White House, in the Oval. I think they have the capacity to be able to sustain the government. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling? None whatsoever. Zero. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable. We are not going to walk away and not sustain their ability to maintain that force. It's not a question of whether they have the capacity. They have the capacity. They have the forces. They have the equipment. Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. I'll insist we continue to keep the commitments we made of providing close air support, making sure that their air force functions and is operable. Uh, but no particular outcome, in our view, is inevitable. This is not a, a foregone conclusion, as uh, many people seem to think. Um, that uh, this will be an inexorable march forward uh, for um, the Taliban. But there's no intention right now to close the embassy or to close all the diplomatic presence uh, in Kabul. We still want to be able to have that uh, in, in place. The situation in Kabul is calm right now. It is calm right now. So I lost track somewhere around 80 lies in that. Uh, how do I get 80 when they say we're going to do X, Y, and Z? That's three lies. When they say that uh, that Austin and Millie are going to do X, Y, and Z, that's six lies because it's two people prom promising to do three things. I got to about 83 and I lost track. Lost track. If this was the Trump administration, that would be blaring on the news day and night. You, That would be ingrained in your mind, every single one of those clips. But because it's the Biden administration, even while the, the media is out for blood, they're still also trying to cover it up. Like they want blood, but they don't want that much blood. They just want enough blood to be able to make a name for themselves. And I think that's what's crazy about this, this media response. Yes, they are actually asking the right questions, but it's I don't feel like they're, they want to take down the administration because 
Usually that's what happens in a, in a crisis like this. When they smell blood in the water, all the sharks pounce, right? They go after it. They're asking the questions, but they're not going for that knockout. They just want, it seems like they just want to make a name for themselves, which is, which is pretty shameful. But there was something Joe Biden said in there about halfway through those lies, somewhere around between lie 40 and 45, that he had spoken with the Afghan government and he was convinced that they were going to be able to win this war. <laughs> I, we know that's just not true. We know that's just not true. If you put up my screen, Mr. Producer, this is, we talked about this yesterday, but we'll mention, we'll read it again. This is from that leaked transcript, the leaked transcript of, uh, the leaked transcript between Joe Biden's call with Afghan President Ghani. And this is what he said. He said, you know, I am a moment late, but I mean it sincerely. Hey, look, I want to make it clear that I'm not a military man any more than you are, but I've been meeting with our Pentagon folks and our national security people, as you have with ours and yours. And as you know, and I need not tell you the perception around the world in parts of Afghanistan, I believe, is that things aren't going well in terms of the fight against the Taliban. There is a need, whether it is true or not, there is a need to project a different picture. All these all these ads to which Ghani responds, Mr. President, we are facing a full scale invasion. I mean, just think about that. Think about that. You're, you're a foreign leader. You're a foreign leader on the phone with the president of the United States. The president of the United States is telling you to basically be the Baghdad, Baghdad Bob or whatever that guy's name was. He wants you to go out on television and lie and say that the country's not being overrun, that it's going swimmingly. He spends a couple paragraphs dictating what he wants you to do. And then finally, when you're able to chime in, you say, Mr. President, we are facing a full-scale invasion. It's not just that Joe Biden told him to lie to the American people, because obviously that would be broadcast around the world and to his own people. It's not just that he told him to lie. It's that this is the perception. He, Joe Biden's always interested, apparently, in perception. What is the perception when the president of the United States tells a foreign leader to lie and say that the war is going swimmingly and the, and the foreign leader says, wait a minute, we're being, this is a full scale invasion. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? This isn't going well. You want me to go on, on national television and say it's going well? We've lost half the country. So it's interesting because when Donald Trump had a phone call with a foreign leader, the minute he said something the Democrats didn't like, they demanded his impeachment over it. Jen Psaki, that circle back girl, lover, she was asked yesterday about that call, about Joe Biden's conditional promise of air support, meaning that if they didn't do certain things, there wouldn't be air support to protect their troops. Also, his demand that they lie to create a better perception of how Afghanistan was going. Psaki was asked about that, and she responded that she would not comment on a private call. Let's play cut number two. Just up. Donnie, I just want to put a pin in that report. Was the president in any way pushing a false narrative in that call with the Afghan president? I think it's pretty clear. Again, I'm not going to go into details of a private conversation, but what we saw over the course of the last few months is a, a collapse in leadership. And that was happening even before Ghani left the country. What the president has conveyed repeatedly, privately, and publicly is you need to stand up and lead your country. And that's something he said at a press conference in July. And not true. He did not tell him to lead his country because leaders tell the truth. Sometimes they, they tell fibs. Sometimes they tell white lies. Sometimes they tell lies that the people have to hear. But when you're telling a leader of, their, of the country to get up and tell his people that he is winning when he is being overrun, that is not good leadership in any way, shape, or form. 
But I find it very interesting. A couple things here. First of all, Jen Psaki says it was a private conversation. It was not a private conversation. It was not between Joe Biden and Afghan President Ghani. There were probably hundreds of other people listening in on that call. If it was a private conversation, it probably wouldn't have leaked to Reuters. Though it's entirely possible that Ghani would have been the one to leak it because it certainly makes him look a lot better than than the way the media has been portraying him. He ran away with with cash, boarded a plane. Yeah, well, when when you read what he was actually dealing with 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 Biden and how Biden was telling him to just pretend it's going well. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably run if I was in his position. I don't think I'd steal all the, my country's wealth in the process, but I'd, I'd probably run away. Listen, he was a, he was a puppet. It, it was always an American puppet government. Right. They relied on the United States for to prop themselves up. So when Joe Biden stops giving him those reassurances, offers to give Kabul to the terrorists. Yeah, I, I understand why he'd run. If he didn't run, he'd be one of those people hanging from the helicopters being flown around Afghanistan. But the other interesting thing is Jen Psaki says it's a private call, which, as I said, it isn't. But she doesn't want to comment on it. It's very interesting because just two years ago, Almost exactly two years ago, she was very interested about the contents of a private call between Donald Trump and the Ukrainian prime minister. Put, I put up my screen, Mr. Producer. This is Jen Psaki commenting on the Donald Trump-Ukraine call. If we put up my screen, she says, quote, it's not just the call transcript. The whistleblower complaint would likely have more details. We need both. And it's not just the call. So when she was out of government, she demanded a full transcript of what she would probably call now a private call. But now that she's in government, she claims you have no right to that private that private call. This is politics. This is how they play politics. They don't care about the hypocrisy. They don't care that they look like they're complete, um, <laughs> complete asses. They don't care. They're willing to do whatever they need to do in that moment to advance themselves and their party politically. And if a, two years from now, it blows up in their face, they don't care. She's not going to face any backlash for this. She's still going to be invited to all the same cocktail parties. She's still allowed to fly on Air Force One. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In fact, she's probably getting a little back rub from Joe Biden right now. Probably a couple of hair sniffs for such a good job that she's doing. And he also had Saki at the end try to pull a Joe Biden, try to run away without asking the important questions. She was asked, how will they save Americans since Joe Biden promised to do so? And after hastily putting on her mask, she didn't answer the question. Let's play cut number three. So how is he going to get them home? Her answer was, he said he's going to get them home, so he's going to do it. Well, it would have been a lot easier if you had the military do it. We learned yesterday, the day before, that despite Joe Biden telling the military he did not want them leaving the Kabul airport because he didn't want a Black Hawk down moment to stain his presidency, that's actually why they weren't launching rescue missions. Joe Biden ordered them not to. I'm not sure if that is why one of the generals tried to order the British not to save Americans. because It seems like that would be a loophole to Joe Biden's command. But we know that after Joe Biden issued that order, he realized that, realized that Americans were going to die as a result of him wanting to avoid bad press. So he allowed the military to leave. And we learned that they launched three, three rescue operations outside the wire 
leaving the airport. Now they saved in those three operations, they saved a few hundred people. So that's good. But they, they only allowed three operations. Just think about that. Three. But now Joe Biden, the best possible withdrawal he ever could have done. He couldn't get better. This is the gold standard. The gold standard of withdrawals. It's pathetic. It's completely pathetic. So now we have Mitch McConnell. First of all, we're over 50. Over 50 Republican congressmen, senators have, have called for Joe Biden to either be removed from office through the 25th Amendment, to resign in shame, or to be impeached. Over 50. It's good. That means we should have a vote, right? Because when Democrats were the minority in, in the House of Representatives, they got their vote. They were able to force their vote through privileged re resolutions. I don't want to dive too deep into uh, the minutia and, and, and the legalese of how these things work. But typically, the Speaker of the House gets to control what resolutions reach the floor or not. She's the gatekeeper. If she doesn't want to vote, she can stop it. There's two ways primarily to get around the Speaker of the House. The first is a discharge petition. That's where you get a majority of, of congressmen to sign on and say they want to vote. And, and the logic is if the majority of congressmen support something, then they should have a vote on it. It's very hard to get that to work because either way it requires, if you're in the minority, it requires the majority party to basically stab their own Speaker of the House in the back. And they don't really want to do that too often because then they won't, as I said, they won't get invited to the cocktail parties. They won't get, they, they'll be removed from their committee assignments. But a discharge petition is one way to do it. Another way to do it is a privileged resolution. Now, it used to be easier to, to make a privileged re resolution reach the floor. Now, the only two people who can do it are, uh, are the House Majority Leader, what, Steny Hoyer, and the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy. They're the only two people they can force a vote on whatever they want. So you'd think that they'd force a vote on impeachment. Hell, the Democrats did it half a dozen times before they actually got a real impeachment inquiry. They, they were doing it every couple months. Why isn't it happening in the House of Representatives? Why isn't Kevin McCarthy taking the articles of impeachment that were drafted by Marjorie Taylor Greene and forcing a vote? Now, in all honesty, that vote would fail. That vote would fail. Right now, there are not enough Democrats to impeach Joe Biden, but that's not the point. The point isn't to win the impeachment. The point is to move the ball down the field. If you remember, the Democrats, as I said, did this half a dozen to a dozen times before they got their real impeachment. And every time, more and more congressmen supported it. Why? Because the news ran with the headlines. People in their districts started clamoring for it, and more congressmen and congresswomen caved and agreed. And it was only after over a year of these votes that Nancy Pelosi finally was able to get that phony impeachment vote, impeachment hearing over that phone call. But it, it wasn't an overnight thing. It was, it was incremental. It was incremental. It was, it was okay, today we're going to try and impeach Donald Trump because he said mean things to the NFL players who were kneeling. Okay, today we're going to get 20 people to vote. The next time we're going to do it because he did a mean tweet. Oh, wow, we got 30 people. They just kept doing that. So where's Kevin McCarthy? Where is Mitch McConnell? Where are they? Why aren't they pushing this? This is, and again, it's not even just political. It's well documented. Joe Biden has no business in the White House whatsoever. So we've been waiting to hear from Mitch McConnell. Does he want Joe Biden to be removed by the 25th Amendment? Does he want him to resign? Does he want him to be impeached? No, he apparently doesn't want any of it. He wants you to just vote to give him power again.
So we're going to play this cut, Mr. Producer. You're probably going to have to turn the volume up. I tried to turn the volume up myself, but uh, it was still kind of quiet. This is Mitch McConnell saying no impeachment. Cut number four. Let's go. Well, look, the, uh, the president's not going to be removed from office. It's the Democratic House, the narrowly Democratic Senate. That, that's not going to happen. <clears throat> I, I think there's two things that could turn turn him in a different direction. Number one, the speed of this big document would be an enormous setback. And we're doing everything we can. But none of us are voting for it, but we're doing everything we can to encourage opposition from the other two. In this country, the report card you get is every two years. And uh, we're trying to hold down the damage until next year. And I do think, <clears throat> excuse me, we're likely to see a typical kind of midterm reaction to a new administration. Most of you are not political junkies. You've got better things to do than that. But you'd be interested once just only twice in American history, only twice, have presidents gained seats in Congress two years into the first term. Only twice in American history. So typically, there is some buyer's remorse two years in. You know, people say, oh, this is what I thought I voted for. Uh, <clears throat> if the election were today, the president's approval rate down to 40. And uh, it was 54 about two months ago. So I think the way these behaviors get adjusted in this country is through the ballot box. And uh, in the meantime, we're trying to stop as much of this as we can. They're desperate to push this through because they're afraid they are going to lose their majority. And uh, I think the American people have to decide what kind of government they want. I have a feeling the American people didn't think they voted for this government. Even though they won, I don't think the American people thought this is what they were voting for. And uh, so, look, there isn't going to be any impeachment, but I think so <laughs> kind of hard to hear different parts he wasn't using the microphone very well which is a shame but he basically had this point he said only twice in american history i think modern american history only twice in modern american history has a ruling party picked up seats in the midterm well, I counter that by saying never before in American history has an incumbent president got more votes than he did the last time and lost. Never before has an incumbent president won all but one of the bellwether cities, bellwether counties, and then lost the presidency. It's never happened before. So, <laughs> see, he's trying to hang his hat on the midterm elections which is very fitting for him, he wants to be reelected the Senate majority leader. Why would he stick his neck out to save the country from Joe Biden when he's less than a year away, about a year away, from potentially having a new path to control the United States Senate? Why would he stick his neck out? I mean, that that's the political calculus. And you see that he mentions a couple months ago, uh, a couple months ago, he was at 54%. Now he's at 40. Well, we have that image. Go ahead, put up image number two, Mr. Producer. Image number two, he is right when it comes to 
the actual approval rating. Joe Biden was at 54 a couple months ago, and now he is down below 46. That's the real clear politics average of polls. Do you know how hard that is to do? Do you know how hard it is to go down that much when the polls are slanted in your favor so much? It's next to impossible. It's next to impossible. And I'm going to I'm going to get the polls um I'm going to get that poll up because I want you to see just how bad it is. That that graph as as terrible as it is for Joe Biden, it doesn't paint the whole picture. Okay, go back to my screen. If you put up my screen, the average of polls the average of polls shows that just yesterday, a, a PBS poll has a minus eight, 51% disapprove, 43% approve. Rasmussen, as we reported yesterday, 56 disapprove. You had Politico, Morning Consult, 49% disapprove. You had the Economist, YouGov, had him only plus one in approval. Reuters, Ipsos, had him plus three in approval. And then you had the USA Today Suffolk poll, massive, minus 14 55% disapprove, 41% approve. So you have to go all the way back. You have to go all the way back to what? August 22nd to find a poll where Joe Biden is greater than plus three in his approval rating. So Mitch McConnell knows this. He's paying attention. He's watching these polls. As I said yesterday, these people care about the polls. That's what they care about most in this world because they are political creatures. This is the swamp after all. They're political creatures, and they care about their own re-election. So yes, why would Mitch McConnell, if he's only caring about his own re-election and the re-election of his friends, why would he stick his neck out? Let's come up with a couple answers. Um, to save the country, save the republic. That's a pretty damn good answer, isn't it? I mean, well, why would I? Why would I try and impeach and remove a president with dementia? I'm going to be in power in a year and a half. I mean, that, that's what he's doing. The GOP is just as bad as the Democrats. They're just as bad. It, 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 the Democrats are far worse. True, fine. But the GOP aren't much better. I mean, think back. Think back to the first two years of Donald Trump's term. What did they push through other than tax reform? What did they push through? And remember, that tax reform wasn't even permanent. They still have to vote on it every year to keep it in place. What did they accomplish in two years? Did they give us concealed carry reciprocity? No. Did they give us the the any, any bills to protect unborn children? No. No. They gave us increased military spending and they gave us tax cuts. Why? Because the GOP, not like the, there are lots of conservatives who are good, right? They are. But when you look at the GOP leadership, when you talk about look at establishment GOPers, they are beholden to two specific groups, right? Defense contractors and big business. So it's no surprise that what they accomplished in two years with control of the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the presidency was tax cuts. And then they got increased military spending. And they want you to elect them again. They want you to elect them again so they can do the same thing over and over again. So they can give you Democrat light. Listen, I'm not saying don't vote for the Republican who's on the ballot. Absolutely vote for the Republican on the ballot, but fight like hell to make sure that when the primary is over, there's a real conservative in that Republican slot. Don't just accept the establishment types. Don't just accept the Mitch McConnells of the world that they have to be the person who holds that seat. It's not their seat. It's spoken that way so often in the media, like, oh, 
so he's running for so and so seat. It was never their seat. It was the people's seat. They just got to hold it for a little while, and in, in honestly, probably too long. Mitch McConnell has been in office far, far too long. I mean, he's starting to look like the crypt keeper. People saying turkey neck. I don't think that's fair. As someone with a bit of a double chin, I don't want to, I don't want to make fun of anyone's neck at that age. People in glass houses, yada yada yada. But he's definitely, he definitely should retire. He should have retired last time. But that's the same, probably the same reason that Kevin McCarthy doesn't want to push impeachment. Why would he want to push impeachment when he is less than two years away from being Speaker of the House? Why would he torpedo his dream? Kevin McCarthy's dream is to be Speaker of the House. It's not to save the country. It's not to preserve your rights and liberties. It's to become Speaker of the House. That is his mission. That is why every two years you see a mass exodus from Congress of people who've been there a while, but the reason that they retire is because they become term limited in their committees. So if you want to control a committee, if you want to control the Finance Committee or the, or the Foreign Affairs Committee, you're only allowed to hold the chairman position for so many years. And once you become term limited, you're out. So when you hear the, the news, the media say, oh, well, so-and-so is retiring because they become term limited in the committee, what they're saying is I really only cared about controlling the Foreign Affairs Committee, and now that I can't do it anymore, I'm out. I mean, whatever happened to representing the people? Now, it's a, I'm not going to, it's not me to stop anyone from retiring after two to three decades of quote-unquote service. Go ahead. See you later. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> thanks for nothing. But it's quite interesting that when they retire, it's not that, oh, I've been in office a long time. I think the people need, need to have some fresh blood holding this seat. No, the reason that a lot of these people retire is that they're not allowed to be in charge anymore. And the pathway the speaker is blocked because there's other people in line, so they're going to retire. That's what the GOP establishment is. That's what the leadership is. They care far more about themselves than they care about you. If they cared about you, they'd be impeaching this man. And again, it, it's not its not saying that impeachment would win. People say, oh, well, it can't win. It can't win. It, we're not looking for that Hail Mary touchdown pass. We are looking to run the ball three to four yards every single down. That is how you win on fights like this. You don't win by throwing the ball down the field and hoping and praying that it gets caught. Ground and pound offense. And I understand that anyone who doesn't know football, that probably seems like a sexual innuendo. I promise it isn't. I promise that it isn't. So in contrast to Mitch McConnell, I wanted to show you a brief a little supercut of what the Democrats were saying in the first couple of years of Donald Trump's presidency. They weren't taking the road of Mitch McConnell saying, oh, well, we're just going to have to go and win elections instead of impeaching. No, they were clamoring. They were screaming for impeachment. And here's that supercut. Let's play cut five. The only harm that I may be doing to the president is I want him impeached. I would, uh, I would, I would support impeachment. I think that, um, you know, we have the grounds to do it. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach the Exactly. I think we are at the, essentially in the beginning of an impeachment process. I think that there is uh, a lot of momentum towards an impeachment inquiry. Yes, exactly what I feel. Uh, I think we've already begun it. We have to get ready for impeachment with this president. The time has come, Mr. Speaker, for the House of Representatives to begin an impeachment inquiry into President Trump. It's time for us to impeach 
this president. So they were very clear what they wanted. They wanted impeachment. They want impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. Mitch McConnell, oh no, you got to give me power again. That's Mitch McConnell's answer. So again, I, I hope and I pray and we're going to work like hell to make sure that when the November, the next November elections come along, that there's a real conservative in those slots for the Republican position. Because we can't afford, we can't afford this anymore. We can't afford to have the Mitch McConnells of the world. Like, it's not even about politics. We can't have a dementia patient running the world. It was a fun experiment. It was fun while it lasted. Not really, but it was great. We tried it. <clears throat> Let's go back. And, and the crazy part about all of it is Joe Biden's whole thing was, oh, the, the grownups are in charge again. That was his whole promise, that the grownups were going to be in charge again terrible it really is terrible 888-441-1121 is our number if you want to chime in on this got to mention that this podcast is sponsored by air med care network air med care network the premier insurance plan that will cover you and yours your entire household should any of you need to be airlifted for a medical emergency unlike joe biden they'll actually make sure you get the help you need when you're in a crisis lots of people don't think about what how they would get to the hospital in an emergency but you don't get to choose that you don't get to choose where you are you don't get to choose what the traffic will look like and you'd also be surprised at how many people in, in the suburbs or even in cities have to be airlifted to hospitals just because the traffic's bad and an ambulance won't get there, get there in time. Well, Air Med Care Network exists to make sure you don't have to worry about that. And you don't have to worry, more, more importantly in some ways, about the bill because it's upwards of 60 grand to get flown by helicopter to a hospital. When you sign up as a member with Air Med Care Network, you'll pay $85. That co gets coverage for one year. It works out to be less if you're a senior citizen, and it works out to be less if you buy three or five years at a time. But as long as you're, you're an AMCN member, and as long as you're flown by an AMCN provider, and don't worry, they fly over 100,000 patients a year, you won't pay one cent for that medical transport. And as a bonus, in addition to that great price, that great deal, if you sign up using our link, airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily, and then you use promo code daily, they're going to give you up to $50 back in an e-gift card, depending on how many years you sign up for. So how many years you sign up for will depend how much cash you get back, but it's free money. So again, go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily and use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. Vocal says I should get a VPN sponsor. That'd be good. <clears throat> I'd like VPN sponsors. Listen, I like things that work. I like things that work, which is why I still have my Bursa sitting here <laughs> by the desk just in case someone stops by and I also still do have my we the people holster in case I want to make sure it's a it's a lethal defensive round that goes downrange. But no, we like sponsors that work. We don't want to sell anything, pitch anything that doesn't work, that isn't worth it. So that's why we uh we're we're kind of picky with who we go with. Because sometimes we get things like, oh, you want to sell this video game? I'm like, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna like pitch a video game on your phone. It's not that kind of show. But yeah, anyone with any advice on, on who we, we, you think we should sponsor with, always, always uh, interested in that as well. So this was a little bit of an interesting, <laughs> yeah, conservative atheist saying, <laughs> can picture Max doing a raid Shadow Legends spot. I don't know if that was the one that reached out to us, but it was a similar one that wanted like a one minute cut of me playing on my phone with some like, like computer games. Like, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> not going to work. So in the midst of all of this, we have to understand that 
the Biden administration is resettling all of the Afghans that they they brought out. Almost all of them, their plans to resettle them in the United States. And as we've covered, the 120 plus thousand people that they airlifted, they said it was a historic airlift. Well, usually you don't claim something's historic when you leave people behind. But very few of them were actually SIVs, the special immigrant visas. Very few of them were American citizens, only between five and 6,000. The vast majority of them did not already have their visas in place. <clears throat> and as we spoke with a couple of guests in the last week or two, it's a very hard process to vet these people. It's not easy. Usually the process takes 24 months. Think about that. It takes 24 months to pluck someone out of Kandahar and prove that they are who they say they are and that they're not going to try and do harm to America or Americans. 24 months is how long it can really take to vet these people. They now want them here in a couple days. They, they've used what's called leapfrog, leapfrog countries. So basically, they, flo- they flew them to Qatar, they flew them to Germany, and they're sitting there while they're going to try and process them. But as we've covered, it's just not possible. It is not possible unless, unless you know everything about these people, unless they've been working with the United States government forever and they have the biometric data already on them. It's going to be very, very hard to prove they are who they say they are. And as we've talked about on the show, a rapist has already been brought back to the United States, brought back because he was previously deported. He raped someone, was convicted, deported back to Afghanistan, and he finagled his way onto a flight and is now in a detention facility in Virginia. But we have other ones on, this, on the terror watch list. Over 100 suspected of having terror ties are doing more vetting. The point is you can't vet these people. You cannot vet these people in a couple days when the process typically takes 24 months. And you can't vet these people when there's no one picking up the phone on the other end. There's no Taliban official. And even if there was, no Taliban official is going to weed out their own fighters from the refugee streams. I mean, it was almost like, it's like in Syria, ISIS captured Syrian buildings. ISIS had the ability to make Syrian passports, to make Syrian driver's licenses. And they did. And that's how they got many of their terrorist fighters into Europe, by giving them fake identities. When you flash that card, it's a real card. It was printed using a real printer with all the watermarks and all the holographic things and such. It's real. So when you call up the ISIS people on the other end, the ISIS people pick up, say, yep, he's good, clear background, and they let him in. So it's the twofold. It's either no one's going to answer the phone or the people answering the phone are in on it. But yeah, no, it's impossible to vet these people. But now we're hearing they want to bring them all in. Here is Lloyd Austin, Secretary of Defense, saying just that, bring them all in. Let's play cut six. Some of those brave Afghans will be coming to make new lives with their families in America. After careful screening and security vetting run by our interagency partners. We're temporarily sheltering, sheltering some of these evacuees at military facilities here at home. And I'm proud of the way that our military communities have welcomed them. Some of these courageous Afghans fought alongside us. And they and their families have more than earned their places in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And welcoming these Afghans isn't just about what they've done. It's about who we are. About who we are. Now, we've, we've talked. We talked with Shabir. talked with other people. There are a lot of really good people in Afghanistan who helped us for years, and they deserve help. But the 120,000 Afghans, of which the vast majority are unvetted and never will be vetted, 
which literally include convicted rapists, suspected terrorists. They do not just, they have not already earned a spot in the United States. They just have not. Now, many of them, when we can verify they are who they say they are and that they've done great things for this country, they deserve to be brought into the U.S. They absolutely do. Now, you still keep an eye on them. You know, it's, it's trust but verify, right? But they deserve a better life. Anyone who's willing to help us overseas deserves to be set, to be kept safe. But they haven't all earned a spot in the United States. That's insane. That's insane. It's the same language that you hear about illegal aliens. That, oh, yeah, their, their parents brought them here as kids. They've lived in the United States illegally for decades, broke countless laws in order to do so. They've earned their shot at the American dream. No. No, it, it doesn't work like that. We, you can't just bring in 110,000 people without even vetting them, knowing that it's impossible to vet them, skipping the process anyway. No, because ultimately, it's about America first. We help people, right? We got them out of Afghanistan. It's the same concept that we see in Central America, which is the policy that Donald Trump tried to implement, which was the safe third country. The idea that if you are in, I don't know, let's say you're you're moving from Argentina and you're walking up through South America, through Central America to reach the United States and you claim that you are being persecuted in Argentina. You don't get to say the only place you can feel safe is the United States. You don't get to say that, oh, actually Guatemala, I, I probably die in Guatemala too. Oh yeah, no, Mexico is not doing it for me. The whole idea, and this is very, very, it's, it's concrete when it comes to refugee resettlement, is you get people to where they can be safe. You save them. You keep them safe. That's why still so many Syrians are in Turkey and in Lebanon because they're out of Syria. They're close by, but they're not being hunted by the Assad regime anymore. The insanity of this is that, yes, we, we've helped save countless people. That's true. But fast-tracking them to the United States without the vetting, without the deep dive into their criminal history, You can't do it. You can't do it. But that's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do anyway. And they're not just going to bring them into, into a couple areas of the country. They'll put, put them all over. Small towns, just like with the illegal aliens, the asylum seekers at the border, small towns are going to wake up and realize, that, oh, holy crap, we have a thousand refugees here. None of them speak English. And uh, I guess we just have to now put them in school. I mean, these are real things. You can't just you can't just wipe these things away. How you resettle people is very, very important. Who you resettle is very, very important. But now, according to Austin, everyone has already earned American residency. I don't think so. Now, the people who have put their lives on the line, absolutely. But as we've already covered, the vast majority of the people on these flights did not have SIV paperwork. They were not among those high-value Afghans. But they're going to do it anyway, unless we stop them. We have to have to stop them. I'm going to play a little bit of a clip of Mark Levin. I like Mark Levin. I, I wish he was on television more. I listen to him on radio whenever I can, but I wish he was on television more. Because he, he lays it out so clearly, so succinctly. And I love it when he gets fired up. I love it. I love a good Mark Levin rage rant. 
So I just sent over that video. We're not going to play all of it. We'll play a little bit. I'll, I'll tell you when to cut it off. Let's play that Mark Levin video I just sent over. First, I want to talk to General Milley. General Milley, I have this hanging on my office hall. You know who this is? This is George S. Patton. You're no George S. Patton, General Milley. How many Anne Franks are there tonight in Afghanistan? How many Anne Franks? are hiding in cellars all across that country today. I want to talk about the people left behind, not the 124,000 who've been evacuated to safety. I want to talk about the millions who now have had genocide unleashed upon them. And before Joe Biden became president of the United States, were living mostly in peace and mostly in safety in what was a neutralized Afghanistan with a minimal American military footprint. I want to read something. I never do this. I went back to Dwight Eisenhower's book, Crusade in Europe, when he went to the death camps. He said, the same day, April 12, 1945, I saw my first horror camp. It was near the town of Gotha. I've never felt able to describe my emotional reactions when I first came face to face with the indisputable evidence of Nazi brutality against the Jews and ruthless disregard of every shred of decency. Up to that time, I had known about it only generally or through secondary sources. I am certain, however, that I have never at any other time experienced an equal sense of shock. I visited every nook and cranny of the camp because I felt it my duty to be in a position from then on to testify at first hand about these things in case these ever grew up at home, the belief or assumption that the stories of Nazi brutality were just propaganda. Some members of the visiting party were unable to go through with the ordeal. I not only did so, but as soon as I returned to Patton's headquarters that evening, I sent communications to both Washington and London, urging the two governments to send instantly to Germany a random group of newspaper editors and representative groups from the national legislatures. I felt the evidence should be immediately placed before the American and British publics in a fashion that would leave no room, no room for cynical doubt. Now, we have propagandists in this country from the Defense Department to the State Department to the White House. Highly paid Admiral Kirby, Nick Price, Jen Psaki, and others, and now generals who are part of the propaganda. Do you think George Patton or Omar Bradley or the top general, George Marshall, would leave American citizens in enemy territory under any circumstances or conditions, including at the order of the commander-in-chief. No commander-in-chief has ever ordered any general to leave citizens behind. What about these children and these women? What about the Afghan allies, the men who fought next to us, firefight after firefight? What about the 80 to 100,000 SIV visas granted, special visas granted to patriots who fought side by side with Americans. Instead, we hear that the American citizens didn't act fast enough. Instead, we hear this was a massive success. Instead, we hear we will use diplomacy to deal with these Nazis. Instead, we hear we may in the future work with them against ISIS as if they're different. It's the Taliban that allowed Al Qaeda to attack us on 9-11. The Taliban, they have our equipment, 
They have our people. They have our allies. They are going to threaten us. They're working with the communist Chinese. They're working with Putin. They're working with the Iranians. And listen to me, America. Can you hear the screams of the people of Afghanistan tonight? Because they're screaming. Can you hear the women being brutalized? Can you hear the bullets in the execution? Because it's occurring under the cover of dark. Because our media is unable to be there. While they're celebrating at the State Department and the Defense Department and at the White House. And while they want to turn the corner and change the politics to human infrastructure of all things and to COVID-19. By God, I've never been more disgusted with my government and the top brass of the United States military than I am right now. Listen, they're screaming. Do you hear them? They're begging for health. Do you hear them? American citizens, they say, waited too long. Spot on. Spot on. I let that run a little bit longer probably than we should have, but I wanted to make sure we got to that classic Levin shouting. But he's shouting with the purpose. It is legitimate anger. And it's it's what we're all feeling. It, it's not just a mistake. Mistakes happen. Mistakes happen. And when they happen, people apologize. People resign in shame. And we move on. We learn from the mistakes and we keep going. The problem with this is the powers that be say there were no mistakes. It was perfect. Best it could have been. Great for us. Any mistakes was Trump's fault. And there's nothing to learn from here. Just that don't let Trump be president again. That's that's the narrative. So it's not just that they made mistakes. It's that they're actually, as he said, in the State Department, in the Pentagon, celebrating while people, um, Americans, our allies in Afghanistan are being beaten and God forbid, I hope not, killed in the streets. Easy because Joe Biden gave them the list of their names, gave the Taliban the list of their names. No, but Mitch McConnell says, nope, we're going to go another year and a half of this. We're going to go a year and a half of this because Mitch McConnell would much rather regain power himself. He would much rather wait for the legislative solution than go with impeachment, resignation, or 25th Amendment because that would hurt his chances, right? Impeachment of Joe Biden would probably hurt his chances. That's how he sees it. So he'd much rather force the United States, force the world to live under this dementia patient than to do the right thing. It's Mitch McConnell. It's it's the Kevin McCarthy's of the world. They have the power. Not to not to remove him from office right now, but to start the ball roll, rolling. Come on. But no, they're too afraid. They're too afraid because they have different priorities. It really is shameful. Go remind everyone that we do have a new conservative daily store. If we put up my screen, it's pretty slick. It's pretty hot. I said it yesterday. It's hot. People were commenting that it's hot. You go to our homepage, conservative-daily.com, and then you go to Joe's Depot. Joe wanted it to be named after him, so we did it. You click on Joe's Depot, and it takes you to the new conservative daily page. Look at that. Look at that. We, we got some we got some actors to pose with the with the photos. That's a step up for sure. We got new we got new t-shirts like this with the logo with different crests on them. And we're going to have more more stickers. Oh, the stickers are here? Fabulous. We've been working on these stickers for a long time. The stickers, they're there. You can order the stickers right now. My favorite vegetable, Joe Biden, is as a little potato. Don't blame me. I voted for common sense. Voter fraud, no. They identify as mail-in ballots. 
caution. This is Joe's favorite. Democrats are pedophiles, rapists, and closet racists. Then we did that. And then there's a pack. There's a sticker pack. Get all of them for 15 bucks. So check out the new Conservative Daily store. You can get their store.conservative-daily.com or go to conservative-daily.com and click on Joe's Depot. And it'll take you right there. So we're going to take a break in a second. And we're going to shift over to... uh, to talking about this this crazy case of Gabriel Gabriel Geip, the Antifa teacher. But before we do that, before we do that, I want I want to tell a story of what happened to me last night. It's going to be short. I, I don't think it'll fit in with what the second hour, but I want to get to this. So I don't know if people could hear it on air. The last couple of days, there have been smoke detectors here chirping, and I hate that. And they always seem to chirp whenever I'm on the air. So I made an effort to get them all removed. I replaced them. They were 10 years old anyway, so it's time to replace them. So um, replaced the smoke detectors in my house, put up new ones, wired them in. That was fun. And threw out the old smoke detectors. Well, idiot me, I forgot to take the batteries out of the smoke detectors. I put them in the trash. So yesterday night, the smoke detectors started going off in my trash can. Not, not fun for people in the neighborhood who wanted to sleep. All of a sudden they hear, a fire alarm going off from a trash can. A neighbor knocked on my door and said, hey, I think the uh, you're, there's some smoke detectors or something's beeping in your trash can. Just want to let you know so you can fix it. I said, okay, sorry about that. Sorry, I'm in my underwear. I'm in my underwear running out to, <laughs> to dig through dirty garbage to try and fish out smoke detectors to take the batteries out. And as she's walking away, she says, oh, by the way, I also called the cops. I'm thinking, well, well geez, great. Okay, this is going to be fun. So I'm digging through my own trash in my own driveway, in my underwear at like 1130 at night. And I find the smoke detectors. It wasn't pretty. What I had to dig through, I will save you. I will save you the disgust. I have some small children, but I'll say, just imagine what's in these garbage cans, these garbage bags. I find the smoke detectors. I'm ripping out the batteries. I put them in, close the 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 lid of the garbage can, grab them and begin walking them up my driveway. And right behind me, I see a flashlight shining behind me. I turn around. It's a police officer saying, Hey, uh, can I see some identification? <laughs> I'm just thinking, wait, whoa, come on. Uh, no, I'm not showing you identification. I haven't broken the law in Texas. You don't have to show a cop your ID. If you are not operating a motor vehicle or, um, doing anything legal. So he has to suspect you of committing a crime first. So I said, no, officer, I don't have an ID. I'm in my underwear. Um, my smoke detectors were going off my trash can. I took the batteries out. I'm bringing my trash and I'm going back to bed. And he said, well, I'm going to need to see some ID. I said, no, officer, I'm not showing you ID. I don't have to show you ID. I'm not operating a motor vehicle. I'm not doing anything wrong. Um, the woman who called you, she told me to fix it and I fixed it. So thank you for stopping by. Reassure you, nothing's wrong. I start walking up and he says, well, I'm really going to need to see some ID. And I respond, so you suspect me of committing a crime? What crime do you suspect me of committing here in my underwear, bringing my own trash cans from the street up to the side of my house? He said, well, maybe you could have gone in and robbed the place. Oh, oh, wow. You caught me. I'm the dastardly robber who steals old smoke detectors and then puts them at the street in the garbage can. Like, no, stop it. This is, this is silly. This is stupid. And he keeps persisting. 
he keeps persisting, demanding that I show him ID. And people thinking, why don't you just show him ID? Well, the reason you don't show a cop ID, I support police. I love them. But when you've done nothing wrong, nothing you do or say to a cop can make you more innocent. Nothing you say to them can improve your situation whatsoever. Anything you say to a police officer can and will be used against you, right? Maybe there's something wrong with my ID. I don't know. Maybe my car is not registered and he notices that. I don't know. Maybe there's a warrant out for my arrest because I for forgot a speeding ticket somewhere. I don't know, right? You never give a cop your name unless you're legally obligated to because when you do that, only bad things can happen to you. Try to explain to the cop, Tried to explain a cop, nothing to see here, just some smoke detectors that were going off in my trash can. And he kept pushing, 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 and insinuating, insinuating that I was breaking the law, that somehow I, I guess I robbed the house in my underwear, stole the smoke detectors, and threw them out. That is the crime of the century. Congratulations, Sherlock Holmes, you caught me. So at that point, my wife's coming out with um with my my child, my baby. And she's freaking out. She's like, I'm gonna go get my ID. And I said, No, you are not getting your ID. He is not legally entitled to our identification. We're not. He keeps pushing, he's pushing. So she goes inside. And I lock my door. And I have a pin code on my door. I, I, I use a key, but I also have a, a pin code because it's faster. I lock the door. I put in my code. And I say, I live here. You've seen that I live here. Thank you for your time. Have a great night and please do leave my property. Your business has concluded. Please leave my property or I'm going to have to call the cops. And he starts getting all pissy with me. And I just close the door. Done. Listen, there's good cops out there. I appreciate cops answer calls, but that cop was answering a public safety call about beeping in a trash can. Public safety call. He was, he was answering a call about fire alarms. He was supposed to be approaching in a public safety, uh, a public safety stance. The minute he got there, he entered law enforcement mode, criminal investigation mode. It's very different. And I think that there are good cops out there, and I love the good cops. But I think a lot of the bad cops blend those two modes together. When they're supposed to be protecting a community or, or a community safety posture, they're still in criminal investigation mode. No, if there is a smoke detector beeping in my trash can, you are not entitled to my name. You're not. You're not. And at one point he said, well, I, I'm calling for a suspicious circumstance. Well, that's great, officer. The person who called, the suspicious circumstance wasn't man in his underwear fishing through garbage. Because she called you before she even told me about it. So I, I think a lot of it stems from cops confusing the public safety bit and the law enforcement criminal investigative bit, and also cops not understanding what reasonable suspicion means. What it means, they have to have, they have to be able to articulate a crime that they suspect you of committing. They have to articulate, they have to be able to say it out loud. They can't just say, well, you look suspicious. Well, what, do you sus what do you suspect me of doing illegal? They're like, oh, I suspect you of going into that house in your underwear and stealing their old smoke detectors and then throwing them out for them. Dastardly plan. So I got a little snippy with the officer, but I, I think anyone in their underwear at 1130 at night trying to fish through dirty diaper bags of trash to reach smoke detectors, turning around, seeing a cop shine a flashlight in your face, demanding that you show them identification, I think anyone probably would be a little snippy. So if the cop's listening, I apologize 
for some of the choice language I gave you. I understand you were doing your job, but I highly recommend that you that you read up on reasonable reasonable suspicion, and I highly recommend that you uh <laughs> that you learn the difference between a public safety posture and criminal investigation. Yeah, no, I did. My writer Rich says it seems like he would have had a good laugh at your digging through diapers for smoke alarms. No, he didn't. He suspect he truly did suspect me of committing a crime. So I don't know. I don't know. But again, the reason, and I, I highly recommend this to everyone, do not talk to cops in an official capacity. If, if you're just walking down the street, hi, how's it going? The minute that they are investigating you, whether it be a pullover, whether it be knocking on your door because someone called them about suspicious circumstance, nothing you say to them can make it better for you. Can't, nothing. It can only make it worse. It's like when a cop shows up, pulls you over, and goes to the window and says, do you know why I pulled you over? Do you know why they ask you that? Because they're looking to get you to admit to a crime. Cop shows up at your door. Do you know why I'm here? They're hoping that you're nervous and that you're going to admit to a crime. It, it's, it's right in the script that they're supposed to follow. That, that's what they do. I'm, I'm sure it helps them catch a lot of criminals. But if you've done nothing wrong, your situation cannot be improved by talking to an officer who has already convinced himself that you deserve to be investigated. Period. Full stop. If you want to talk to the cops in a friendly capacity when you're at the, the county fair or they're on their bike, say, hey, officer, how's it going? By all means. But the minute that they have identified you as a potential criminal and they're going down their checklist of ways to get you to admit to something that they don't even know about yet. No, you can only hurt yourself. And that's not an attack on police. I love law enforcement. They protect us every day. But if you've done nothing wrong, you've done nothing wrong. And there's nothing you can say to them that will make you any more innocent. So we're going to take a real quick break. As I said, just want to get that out. I want to say at the beginning of the show, but I didn't want to feel like this was a bait and switch for this episode when it goes to audio podcast. Um, but when we get back, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We've talked about Afghanistan for far too long. We're going to switch gears a little bit and start talking about... Uh, this this case going on, this Gabriel Gibe, this teacher, Antifa teacher, what Project Veritas caught him doing and the reaction. And we will have Jake Frejo here for some analysis. He is our resident Antifa expert. We're going to be talking about this and a couple other cases. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the other side of this quick break. Ronald Reagan famously said that our freedoms are never more than a generation away from extinction. Conservative Daily exists to make sure that never happens. With our community of 700,000 members, we fight every day to hold Congress's feet to the fire and stop them from surrendering our rights and freedoms. The fight to take this country back is not over. Please join our movement right now by going to conservative-daily.com and clicking the subscribe button to sign up for our free call to action newsletters. We have a chance to save this country, but only if we all work together. Again, this is conservative-daily.com and don't forget to hit the subscribe button at the top. 